Hey, I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and lifestyle fulfillment coach, which means I've dedicated my entire life to helping anyone who feels like they're not making the most of their potential to level up and live the extraordinary life of their dreams. You deserve to be the king or queen of your own kingdom, and I'll be alongside to help you be the best version that you can be. I'm psyched that you're here, so let's get to it. What's up, everybody? It's Johnny King with The Johnny King Show, and I'm so excited and privileged to have with us a guest by the name of Johnny as well. Johnny Elsasser, what's up, man? How are you? Doing well, brother. How are you? Good. It's it's uh, Jonathan by uh, legality, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know yeah. why. I, I got to change that for <laughs> Zoom because, yeah, some people like that I don't have like a uh, strong connection with or I'm just on their podcast because they asked mm-hmm. me to be on there. They'll call me Jonathan. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, people aren't going to know who that is. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm John by by uh, legal entity as well. But uh, Johnny, we, we tend to both like the name Johnny, which is good. Yeah, man. I love it's it. It's good. It's good. I was uh, fortunate enough to be on your podcast already, <clears throat> which I really appreciate. It was uh, a really good conversation. So we're just swapping swapping seats. Um but for those that don't know, and maybe you're just getting introduced to you, I, I could kind of go off of your bio in terms of being a, a former special operations army ranger for combat tours. But why don't you tell us a little bit more of your your story from the horse's mouth? I'd love to hear just what what life has looked like up until until now. Yeah, brother, I appreciate that. Um, so honestly, I, I you know I'll, I'll go back to getting into the military because this is always where I feel like my story really started. But yeah. it was essentially I, I didn't even know what the heck I was doing after high school. I was part of I was a really good soccer player. I was part of the number one team in California State at the time. Wow. Um, we were we did really well, but I hadn't done any of my SATs or ACTs. I hated school. I didn't want to be part of it. Man, I knew how to get by. I knew how to get by in school but I wasn't like sitting there knocking out straight A's or anything like that. Yeah. I knew how to, I knew the right TAs. I knew the, <laughs> the way to pass a class. I knew Same. how to put in enough work, but I wasn't impressing anybody, nor did I really care to. Um, so I didn't take anything seriously. I just really hung out, loved hanging out with my friends, drinking on the weekends, playing soccer, like that kind of stuff. Mm. So I enjoyed it. But then as I got to the, uh, to the end of the year, my senior year, and I realized all my friends were coming to school with letters of, of admittance to colleges and things like that i was like oh oh i'm i'm supposed to have one of these (laughs) what's going on right now (laughs) i was like oh bro this is why they were saying go take your sats and ac i hadn't applied anywhere i didn't freaking know how important this was i didn't care yeah um no one had really talked to me about it so i was like oh crap so i get there to the end and all of a sudden i'm like well what am i going to do i i didn't really talk to my parents about how to even get into college or talk about loans i didn't talk to anybody about that i had no no discussion about it so i was like ah oh, crap so stumbled my way into uh, a recruiter's office for the army and uh i'll backtrack just two seconds here earlier that year really random and this you could talk about the universe coming into play a good friend of mine had brought up the special operations community to me for no reason. We weren't talking about going into the military or anything like that. Mm. And he just brings up a conversation about Navy SEALs and special forces and army Rangers and, you know, pararescue and things like that. And I was like, cool. Those army Ranger guys sound cool. So now Mm -hmm. fast forward back to where we are. I'm in the recruiter's Mm -hmm. office and all of a sudden, um, 
I'm talking to him and I'm like, Hey, I'd love to go army Rangers. He's like, great. Yeah. Let's get you in. We'll do your like ASVAB. We'll do all these things. You, you'll do a PT test and all this stuff. So I get in there and, and, uh, you know, kind of summary of that is I end up going into basic and after I get through the medical and processing is where you actually truly sign your contract. And when I, when I do that, I'm sitting there across from a separate recruiter and this is in San Jose. And I'm like, Hey, you know, I'd love to get Rangers. He's like, and at the time we were hot in the war. This was, uh, this was 2004. So he's like, Hey, yeah, just go to the regular army. We'll send you to third ID, which was, they were sending over to Fallujah, which is a really bad conflict that we had. Uh, Marines were doing a great job there, but you know, it was a really bad fight. Army was doing a great job there. Um, he was like, yeah, you can go over there third ID. And then when you get to your regular army unit, you can talk to them about becoming a Ranger. And I was like, cool. I was 17 years old. I was like, I don't yeah. know. Like, cool. Yeah. yeah. Didn't know. Uh, and I, I find out later because I was in special operations. That's not a real great path to have taken. The little asshole recommended it. And I was like, you jerk. Like, why, but, why do you think they recommended it that way? Well, they just wanted bodies for the regular military. So they were sending the regular military and large <clears throat> force to these really bad hot areas because it was early in the war in Iraq. And so they wanted more bodies for it. And I was mm. going infantry. Um, so, you know, they just needed they needed more people for it. So crazy. Uh, and and the, the pipeline for going special operations mean I w- means I wouldn't have been in war for a longer period of time where they wanted to get guys over there as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So so ultimately, I get to basic training and, you know, I was great. I was running two miles in about 11 minutes, 30 seconds. I was maxing out all my stuff. I was a soccer player, so I was in great physical shape. Yeah. So um, my drill sergeant comes to me and he's like, hey, El Assassin. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. Like, you never want to be called by your drill sergeant. Yeah. He calls me over and I was like, dude, what did I do? So I get to him and he's like, hey, what contracts you want? You want special forces? You want rangers? You want to go be a sniper? You want recon? What you want to do? And I was like, what? And I was like, uh, I'd love to go rangers, drill sergeant. And he's like, all right, get your ass upstairs. So I go upstairs and. <laughs> Next day, same thing happens. We finish eating chow, dinner chow, and I get over there, and, and he yells at me again. Hey, Alice has to get over here. And I was like, oh, dude, not even thinking about the contract. I'm like, what did I do today? Did I do something messed up? <laughs> he literally whips out a contract from his pocket and says, sign this. Turns around. I sign it on his back. The next thing I know, right after basic training, I'm going to airborne school, and then I go mm-hmm. into a ranger indoctrination program. I mean, talk about the universe. It just happened. Uh, and I was not, I did, I was a 17 year old kid. I didn't know how to ask for this stuff. I didn't know where to go for it. Nothing wow. like that. So it's all just kind of happened. So I get there and hit special operations, go up to second ranger battalion, did four tours, three in Iraq, one in Afghanistan, uh, decided to get out after I did my four years, uh, or four and a half years at that time. So after I did my four and a half year contract, I decided to get out and then I worked for a private company and then protected the U S ambassador to Iraq for another five years out of Baghdad with a private company um, and decided, man, I'd, I'd been in and out of the Middle East since I was 18 years old. Uh, I, I was about 28 at the time. So for 10 years, I was in and out of the Middle East. And I was like, dude, I've lived none of my young, like fun adult life where I could actually legally drink or anything. I didn't right. have any of that inside the U.S., the place I was, you know, protecting <laughs> and fighting for and stuff. And I was like, I got to get back. So I, I get back. Uh, I finally find this job that I can take for the government and it's a massive pay cut. Talk about like just a kick in the nuts was just a massive, massive yeah. pay cut. Uh, but I was like, you know what? I just, I want to live in the States again. I want to be part of the, you know, U S economy. I want to be what I fought for and all these other mm. things. Mm. 
So, so I, I take the trip back and I take the job and, and it's about six months after I take this job working behind a desk and realizing, oh, crap. I really, really like from my early years of being 17 years old, I based my masculinity and the man I was around this big picture of fighting for Americans, of fighting for the flag, for, for our country and all these things. Yeah. And my confidence was based in being this sergeant and leader in the U.S. military or leader in this high level detail protecting the U.S. ambassador. And I'm like, oh, but I'm just punching keys now. What the hell? So I really started to question like where my confidence was as a man, who I was as a man now, because I wasn't tied to this bigger meaning anymore. I was like, I'm just a cog in the wheel now. What is everything even for? Mm -hmm. So it started down this downward spiral for me where subconsciously and consciously, I just wasn't being my highest self. I wasn't being my best self. I was doing, you know, just doing stupid shit. I was, you know, going and drinking on the weekends, you know, getting, looking forward to the weekends just to get drunk with buddies and talking about dumb shit, nothing that was even below the surface, just super cool. And just not being a good person in all honesty. And I was like, I, I woke up in the morning and at one point, and this is, I also had a wife at the time and it's my first marriage. And uh, I was, I didn't know who I was and I didn't really like who I was. I was like, I don't really know who this guy is looking back at me. Mm. And that, that permeated into a struggling relationship that permeated into a divorce. And then all of a sudden, when all that happened, I realized like, I got to make a change. Mm. And at the time I'd been friends with who my current wife now, um, at the time I'd been friends with her and she was already in the self-development world and she wasn't trying to push it on me, but she was like, Hey, you know, maybe you should read this book. And it was called excuses be gone by Dr. Wayne Dyer. Mm. And, uh, and you know, at first I was like, who am I, you know, who are these guys to tell me how to be a man? Right. Like I've, I've been at war since I was 18 years old. I've been through this initiation process in the military at 17, you know, all these different things. And so I had this big chip on my shoulder and I was like, well, let me just, something's got to change. Let me give this a shot. So I read the Mm -hmm. book and it was a big shot in the gut to me because I was like, oh, wow. Even me telling myself that who are these men to to teach me, even me telling myself that was an excuse to not want to learn, to not want to grow. And I was like, oh, crap. So then I started down the path of self-development. Then I started to get into um, reading more on what masculinity really was in society and what, what would, what did the science even support with masculinity? And then I started to think about all the men that I've served with and how they struggled with relationships and with their kids and with themselves and all these things. And I was like, wow, if I was thinking this way, these guys are all thinking this way. For sure. How, yeah. how can I do something to support them? And so that's where I came up with my podcast. That's where I came up with my coaching. That's where I came up with my wild man experience was Mm -hmm. really to start to help men grow, especially the ones that really are the alpha males that have this big chip on their shoulders. Because at the end of the day, most of us that, that are that way really only will listen to somebody when we respect their background. And so that's really what brought me to fruition today. And that really got me out of that downward spiral and got me into a better mental place to be like, let me start looking at myself and stop looking at everybody else. Let me start taking like responsibility and ownership of my own thoughts and my own actions and figure out what the root problem is before I start to look out to other people. And that's really where I've come to today, man. Amen. So cool. And so the, the podcast is called the art of masculinity. Yeah. And tell me a little bit more of your, your thought behind the art versus the science. Why did you go with that, that title of the podcast? 
I, I well, I mean that what the science tells us is masculinity is fluid. That's really mm. the key. The science actually, so the, the real science behind it, and it's very limited. Social sciences on masculinity really only started around the 1970s by actually a transgender woman out of Australia, mm. funny enough. Mm -hmm. And, um, but social science hasn't done an in-depth uh, review of masculinity. Number one, we've been founded on a patriarchal a patriarch. So you think men are like, yeah, let's look into why, why we're doing things right No, no Nobody wants yeah. to open that can of worms. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it, it was, it's been stifled <laughs> for a long time. So you got Freud who dipped into it a little bit. You have Carl Jung who dipped into it as well. Um, then you started in the nineties with like Robert Bly and things like that. There's numerous people who have started to kind of infiltrate that, but Early on, there really wasn't too much. It was, right. it was philosophy over science, really. And then psychology tried to get in there. But really, the social science was, was Raywin Connell. And so when I started to look at all this, I started to realize masculinity is incredibly fluid. There's no constant amongst society and cultures. There's not even a constant amongst the United States regionally. Right. You know, a, a man in New York looks very different from uh, a, a quote-unquote normal man in Alabama. Right. And that looks very different from a man out of Texas from California. like, it's just mm -hmm. none of it. It's all incredibly fluid. So for me, I named it the art of masculinity because when I started to really dig into this, I started to realize it was an art and our life becomes our canvas. Mm. And when we look at life, we get to paint the picture of what the man is that shows up in that life, yeah. regardless of what society wants you to be truly masculinity is true men and and positive men are the ones that paint their life after how they want to show up for not only themselves, but for everybody else in it and create mm -hmm. a positive impact on society because mm -hmm. we need masculinity in society. We need the balance of feminine and masculine. That's what makes society flow and go into these, you know, epic golden ages. But when we start to have this masculinity that's developed after societal expectations, because the media says you have to be this way, right? Like that's where it becomes a very, very, big pitfall for men. So I wanted to influence the art of masculinity because no man, no man and no version of masculinity is the same. You and I may even have two very different versions of masculinity and neither one of them is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It just, it just depends on how we want to show up in this world and what we value as men right? The only thing I would say is wrong is when guys are just trying to go out and be complete assholes in this, this masculinity that's evolved around hegemonic masculinity and the patriarch, like mm -hmm. this whole oppressive, authoritative kind of masculinity. That's not good because that's not positive for society. Mm -hmm. Positive masculinity is really just trying to build who you are as a man, how you show up, but in your own canvas. So that's why I went after the art of masculinity as opposed to trying to make this a scientific conversation, but we need to know the science. That's what we're For building sure. off of. Yeah, I absolutely. Totally agree with all that. And, and I'm curious to hear from your perspective, what do you feel like is, I mean, you may have already alluded to it. I'm sure you have in some regards. What do you feel like is kind of the biggest thing that men are up against in their own personal lives as it relates to masculinity and kind of where they find their sense of purpose in their day-to-day -day lives today? Well, I, I, it's such a great question because I think that um, 
with men, you can't do, you can't even talk about purpose yet, in my opinion, because Mm -hmm. first off, I think one of the biggest pieces we've missed in Western cultures, there's about zero initiation from boyhood to manhood. And most men that are around today that think they're men, they're really boys. They're just immature Mm -hmm. and they've subscribed to a version of masculinity that was written for them that they never went back and reviewed. So they never actually looked at the damage that some of these versions of masculinity do because the, the men that were teaching them, maybe their fathers or whoever they looked at as a positive male influence, at least to them, mm-hmm. they may not have had, had the proper initiation. Or just as damaged. Yeah, exactly. Or just as yeah. damaged. So they passed on yeah. another damaged version of masculinity. So there's, there's a lack of initiation from leaders and elders in a positive masculine form in Western culture, which I think is one of the biggest downfalls of what we've had for men and why men are really lost. But the other thing that with, with men in today's society and why you can't really develop a true purpose is that men haven't looked back at where their foundation of masculinity even came from. So when I think of this, I think about even, so I'll go dip into the science here for a second, but the social science tells us there's four, four primary ways that we've developed our masculinity. And one is the essentialist, one is the positivist, one's semiotic, and one is the normative, right? And so out of these four different theories, we all as men, when you you actually list them out and read them, we all as men subscribe to one or all of them and how we've developed our own platform of masculinity based on either people we've looked up to or social influences. And when we take a look at that, if we actually stand in our shoes and say, wow, let me take a review on where I came up with these principles I currently have as a man and these traits I believe are manly. When I take a look at those, do they actually even like resonate with me at at my core? Like, do Mm -hmm. I really believe do I really believe that's who I am as a man or am I just trying to achieve something that's completely unattainable? And, and this is where men fail because most of us don't want to have the conversation that right. maybe we're having a, a, an, an improper outlook of ourselves. We're not mm-hmm. even really being authentic with who we are. So most men don't want to admit maybe they're struggling. Most men don't want to admit that there's something that they want to improve or can improve. So what I feel like men have failed at is taking that existential review of who they are showing up as every day, how they're speaking Mm. to people, how they look at themselves in the mirror. Uh, They're not taking a look at what they value. And if you don't understand what those core principles are for you as a man, not as just a person, but as a man in society, you can't really have an aligned purpose. It's impossible. You're going to have a purpose that was developed off somebody else's uh, conditioning for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so powerful. And, and it makes me think of too, like, a, you know, the, the whole concept of we identify ourselves in a certain way and, and that's our, that's our safe place to land, even if it's unhealthy. Right. Cause I, I, you know, prior to kind of really getting into men's work, I was coaching primarily women, men and women, but primarily women for eight years um, through my gyms and through health coaching. And a lot of them, even though they knew their behaviors were unhealthy, leading to obesity and everything else, it was so scary to let go of that and to look in the mirror to evolve into a different version, a healthier version, yeah. you know, even though they could see it in, in plain sight, I feel like it, the same kind of analogy holds true for, for men and our sense of identity. Cause like you said, it's, it's just scary to look at if I let go of that sense of identity, even if I haven't really chosen it 
uh, consciously, like, who do I have? And I feel like I've gone through that too. Like, who am I then? Right. Yeah. It's yeah. super scary. So Absolutely. did you, did you kind of come to that, your, that own conclusion? Like we were talking about uh, maybe even before we were recording, like after your time in the military, was that something where you kind of came to that own, your own realization as well? Of like, who am I? Yeah. And what does that look like? What, how did you work through that on your own? Yeah. I mean, mine was because I realized my purpose was I was, there was no way for me to achieve my purpose in the current mm. state that I was in. Right. So I was like, well, if I can't achieve my purpose, then I'm never going to be happy. So wait a second. How does, how does who I am as a man now get, how, how does that show up in my life if I can never achieve the purpose with that man? Mm. So I was like, holy crap, none of this connects. I can't <laughs> make sense of it. So mm -hmm. yeah, I started to question, well, what do I value as a man? And so what I started to do was really value like, okay, who am I as a man? What's important to me? And if I show, how do I show up in this, let's say kind of new world, mm -hmm. because I was, I was truly in like a new world for myself. How do I show up as this to be somebody I love first and foremost, right? That's the most important thing. Somebody I love and somebody who I believe is giving a positive impact to yeah. those people in his family, to those people in his lives, everybody in his ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I had to really evaluate what that man looked like and what principles he held. So I had to take stock. Oh, okay. Being this hard ass who had this high expectation for everybody that was honest, brutally honest, but was almost um, unable to be pleased because there's always a higher expectation that guy didn't serve me anymore. That guy mm. didn't serve the people that were in my life. It was just, it, mm. that was, that was creating me to be somebody that was never number one, never going to be somebody that could really have anybody close to him. And number two was not going to allow me to ever see any happiness. There's just mm. going to be continual, you know, like let down and kind of sadness because there's never going to be anything that would be achieved to include my own purpose, totally. let alone what everybody else was going to be in my life. So I had to really take stock in that and evaluate myself. And I had to, the one thing I'll say, and one thing I really got from the military is I love, love, love. I'm a, I'm an extrovert, but I love being by myself. And I love taking time to have my own thoughts and to really dissect my own life and kind of dissect even things in this world, like to have really this esoteric conversation in my own brain. I love that. And so I learned in the military, I learned that because we'd be on land nav and we'd have to be out for hours and you couldn't talk to anybody or you'd fail. You couldn't even be in the same proximity as somebody else or you'd fail. You get mm. kicked out. Mm. So I'd be in the woods for hours on my own with a map and a compass and trying to find these little freaking metal poles in the middle of a forest. And I just have nothing but myself to have conversations with. And I truly have come to a place where I did it for so many times. I, I loved it. And, and so um, I started to have those conversations with myself. I started to get back in touch with going out into the wilderness and do long hikes and get into the mountains and camp and get back to things that I loved that helped me to have those esoteric conversations to really find out who I was and what I valued. And then when I started to work on that and kind of find those core principles for myself, I started to say, okay, then I need to start doing some work. 
And then I had to start making, I had to take action. That's the, that's one of the hardest things too, is we, we don't take action. We, we say that we know what we need to do, or we say like, oh yeah, I can see why, you know, Johnny King's doing this. Cause he started to do this, this, and this, and I want to be like him, but then I take no action on it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's, that's where the, the <clears throat> failure comes into place. So I had to start acting on it. And that's what I did. I started to really look at building myself through listening to podcasts. I, I started listening to people like, you know, both of us uh, know of, and mo- probably everybody who listens to this, Lewis Howes, which he's mm-hmm. got such a, a beautiful message in a lot of ways. And then I started to dive even deeper into people like Josh Trent and uh, a few other podcasters that I really, really, you know, like listening to who have just great messages, not only for men, but for life. And mm-hmm. so I started to pick out things that I liked and I started to build my own internal evaluation and started to throw out the things that the old Johnny that didn't serve me anymore, mm-hmm. the things from the old Johnny that didn't serve me anymore. <clears throat> so cool. Um, I guess the, the thing that you've got me thinking now too, is so much of the work that you've been doing, <clears throat> excuse me, been in your, let's say late twenties, early thirties, right? Um, could you have been, I mean, is it just happening at the right time in your life because your your brain is developed and it's the right time? I, I just feel like it's maybe a lot of these questions and the work that you're doing may have been too kind of overwhelming or or heavy to sink your teeth into when you were 17, let's say, you know? Yeah. Um, I just question at what point does it make sense that guys start getting into this? And is it is this something that we should should help future generations and our our children or our children's children get into this sooner? These type of conversations sooner. Um, but like, at what point is it healthy to begin having these conversations with younger generations? You know, I mean, it's such a good question, and and I would like to say I have a hundred percent the answer, but I don't. My firm belief is if you're a man today and and you're uh, and you have kids or you even have, you know, nieces and nephews or, you know, whatever it is, you have any type of younger generation that is looking to you start the conversation as early as possible. Because the problem is, is, is especially if you're not around them hundred percent of the time, which you never are, they're being influenced as well by other things in this Mm -hmm. world. And if you want to go into the, you know, brain science behind all of this, the neuroscience, when you look at that, you start to look at, okay, from zero to eight are our most influential years. Well, why? It's because our brain, our brain waves are in theta and that's where we're sitting there and we're completely malleable. So everything that's going on is getting imprinted in our subconscious. And you're very well aware, uh, very well aware of this is that 95% of our life is automated off our subconscious. So if it's all Mm -hmm. pre-written between those years up to eight or 13, I've heard people say 13, but up in those years, those early years, if, if our subconscious is imprinted already by then, then what you're doing as you get older is not changing. So if you allow the the imprinting of younger generations with positive influences and good conversations where they start to really think about how they're showing up Mm -hmm. in this world, then you're able to influence them at such a young age that when they get older, that conversation is not going to scare them. And that evaluation isn't going to scare them because that's what scares us men right now. Our generation of men are terrified to have that conversation because we just know we're supposed to be hard. We're supposed to work through every day to put food on the table. We're supposed to be the martyrs for our family so they can have a good life. And it's all bullshit. That's Mm. not real. Mm -hmm. And I think the, I think you're right. The younger the conversation is had, the less fear there is around being malleable and, and choosing how you want to show up as a guy. And I, and I, you know, 
obviously before boys become men, I, I think it's, uh, it's not only the conversations, but I think even more so it's just being an amazing influence, you know, whether it be to your own children or mentoring upcoming generations of boys and men. I think that at the end of the day, you know, walking the talk is, is probably the best way to which I think you're you're absolutely doing through your podcast and everything else that you're standing for. But for you and I, it's it's happened later on in life. I think yeah. just because it is what it is, right? Like you almost couldn't avoid it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and had to come to and, the and table with it. And you you hit the nail on the head right here because I'm a huge subscriber to like the social learning theory. So you know, obviously, before we can even talk, we only learn by watching, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're showing up as a shitty dude while your kid is like zero to two, um, (laughs) then all of a sudden, like you just showed them that's imprinted on their subconscious that that's what a guy does. That's how a guy acts. That's how a guy acts with his wife or acts with his friends or all these things. Right. And then when you're sitting there and you're still doing things like that, they're learning through what they see in you. And this goes for boys and, and girls, like girls, girls grow up, you know, loving men that they saw in their life because that's what they believe men are supposed to be like. Right. And this Mm -hmm. is where you see women who get into marriages where they're marrying their dad. Right. And their dad Mm -hmm. was an abusive alcoholic. Right. Right. So all of a sudden you're like, well, what did you think? She was conditioned this way. So as men, Mm -hmm. it's not just about having the conversations. It's about walking the talk. It's, it's paralleling your actions with your words. Mm. And treating people that way as a positive male influence, speaking to them as a positive male influence, treating yourself well as men. Because if you continue to sacrifice and be the martyr and say that I have to live a miserable life so everybody else has a better one, well, guess what you just did? You just conditioned another generation to think they had to have a miserable life so everybody else can have a good one. But that none of that's real. Yeah, yeah. I experienced that a lot, even with my mom, because my dad wasn't around much. Yeah. My mom was amazing mother in many regards, but also martyr herself and her needs, you know, which ultimately came back to, to bite her in the end, I think, um, when it, as it relates to her health and her marriage, but that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Um, going back to something you said earlier in the, in this podcast, just talking about that, like rite of passage, you know, for, for boys, for men, um, in some of the books that I've read, you know, how they've said with, uh, with our current American society, there's very little rites of passage at this point. Very right. Little, yeah with, with a few that happen, my, maybe you see it in gangs, you know, or you see it in the military, right? Now, having experienced the military though, was that rite of passage something that really influenced you? Was it something that you even took to heart? Is it just, was, was it just boot camp and you were through your thing and there you were serving overseas or did, was it really supported as like, you guys are now coming of age, you're now men, you know, what, what was that type of experience going through boot camp and that, you would even say a, a rite of passage to the military. Um, I think the the military, in all honesty, is probably one of the, and it's got its own flaws. But I would say, measured to anything else, aside from any private rite of passage that men are offering, uh, there's there's a uh, I'll give a, a shameless plug. Jetty Azuma is another mm-hmm. guy that's mutual friend, but he he runs a really cool rite of passage for for even for men. Cool. Um, that have never gone through it, but it's really special. But 
the military, in my opinion, as a collectively massive rite of passage in the United States is probably the best. And yes, it really is a rite of passage. They're telling you that, you know, you've succeeded in this really tough endeavor. And now you're a man and you got to step up and be confident. You got to lead and you got to do all these things. And it challenges you, but they give you the tools to, to be a skilled leader. They give you the tools to move into the world, to not only do that in the military, but to do that in the rate in your regular life. Mm. And that's why we take a lot of these things. And like I said, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of flaws in the system because even when we look at it and you look at gangs as well, gangs have an initiation process and they give a rite of passage, but it's all based around hegemonic masculinity and the patriarch. So it's still oppressive. There's still hate involved. There's still uh, a lack of inclusion and inequality. And that has to be bred in them, into them for them to be effective in their gang wars. And it's the same thing in the military. It, it, we, it has to be bred into us in, in part of our rite of passage so that we look at other, uh, other cultures and societies as less than us so we know when we have to go protect them or when we have to go fight somebody who's rising up, right? Like that still has to be passed on. So there is some negativity in there. And I, and I can't sure. say that. I can't say that that wasn't something that I was introduced to either. Like I had to, I had to be, and that made us effective as soldiers. But at the end of the day, when you go back and look at it, does that make me a good man? No, probably doesn't. Probably mm -hmm. it's something I've had to work through. It's, it's something that I think a lot of military people have to struggle with because at the end of the day, when you look at every culture, we are all equal. Every culture is just a little different beliefs on how they do things, but collectively we're still a human race trying to share this single lifetime that we have in this beautiful planet that we have. So. Mm -hmm. Having, having experienced uh, serving and being in the military kind of based off of a foundation, like you said, of, of masculinity that maybe you didn't fully consciously choose. Um, did you experience things during your time when you were serving that um, not so much talking about PTSD, although that I'm sure we could go down that road a little bit, but that you, um, that maybe you would have handled differently if you were coming from a place of where you are now of, of greater confidence and maybe humility and strength and in, in the sense of knowing your, your manhood or masculinity that you didn't have when you were younger. Yeah, man, I, I think like, uh, I would say, uh, man, from the military, definitely, I would say that like, if I could have just realized to look at everybody as like all men, but all people as just really that collective consciousness and mm -hmm. equal, equal mm -hmm. um, I probably would have done better for myself. I probably would have been in less bar fights. I probably would have been had <laughs> less chip on my shoulder, um, less anger towards other you know, other people, other countries of people, things like that. And it's, again, it makes you an effective soldier. It doesn't make you an effective man. It doesn't make you an effective person. So mm -hmm. having said that, like, if I would have realized the power of inclusion and, and having that collective consciousness and having that vision of, you know, every society within this planet is still equal in their own, they just have their own way of doing things. I think I probably would have been a lot happier. I probably would have been a lot more, uh, even keel, I probably would have been a lot more just uh, <clears throat> more calm, you know, things like yeah. that. I, I see a lot more of that in me now. And when you ask me that question, it gives me the ability to retrospectively look how I was and how I view things as opposed to now. And there's just more a sense of calmness in my life. I'm still confident in my capabilities if anything comes up, right, that requires me to act in the way that I used to. But I don't look at the world the way that I used to look at it. I don't mm. look at other 
I don't look at other men the way that I used to look at them. I don't look at them as competition. I look at them as brothers, you know, uh, mm. until and, and and I think nowadays I look at men uh, more as you know, there's a, and, and women too, I've always looked at women with a high level of respect, but men, I've always seen a sense of competition. That's why there's a difference for me. And I don't look at men that way anymore. I look at us as, as, Hey man, we're just on our own journey. And, and if I see something in a guy that intimidates me, um, or makes me think that, uh, I start to, I realized I start to talk shit on guys, um, <laughs> when they have something that I want. And I think most of us men do that. And then I've realized in my mind, if I'm talking about them in my own brain that way, there's something that's insecure with me. Mm -hmm. And I've only come to that realization now in my life. And I wish I would have known that before, because like mm -hmm. I said, it doesn't mean just because you're jealous of somebody or uh, you, you're looking up to them in some way or another, doesn't mean that you have to make an excuse as to why you're, you believe you're subpar to them, right? Like. Mm -hmm. And the, the last thing I'll say on that is when you realize you, you're having those conversations, if you realize if you just talk to that person, they're probably the nicest person in the world or yeah. they're a complete douchebag. But a lot of times, at least you get to know from the horse's <laughs> mouth, you're not yeah. making this perspective, right? Yeah. So it's, it's led me to better conversations. It's led me to better experiences. It's led me to create um, better groups of men around me and to learn more. Yeah. Yeah. Two things that you make me think of the, the first question, um, as it escapes me, what was I thinking of? Um, Oh, was as guys are listening to this, cause I'm sure they, they will be, uh, where do you, where do you suggest that they start? Cause I imagine talking about kind of like the, the jealousy or they could, I can imagine, and I could be wrong. There, there might be someone who's listening and be like, dude, I'd be so much more confident too. If I had, gone and into the military and served and was given the tools. And there's just a lot of guys that didn't have a whole lot of mentorship by dad or any other type of like good, positive male role models. So where do they even begin? You know, is it picking up a book or listening to podcasts? Is it coming to your wild man experience? What is it like, where do they start? Do you, do you recommend in doing the work? I mean, obviously I always recommend the wild man experience because that we, we <laughs> we do have growth there and, and that's where we, we get into good conversations wrapped in a container of a lot of fun. But um, I would personally say if you were to listen to this podcast and right after this, you wanted to start personally, it's, you need to take a look at your values. So what I, what I teach men and how I've coached them before is that, you know, start to, to take and write down, you know, basically, um, like four columns, right? And in your first column, write down all the things that you value as a man today based on what you were given in your past. Not, mm. what, you, not what you look up to right now, but what you value, what's gotten you to this point. Write down all of those traits, all those things that you believe a real man is, right? And then in your next column, start to write down or start to take out of that column the first column start to take out of that the things that you don't believe anymore the things mm -hmm. that you don't gonna are gonna serve you moving forward as the man you want to be mm -hmm. right and then in your third column start to write down all those traits of the things you value but you don't yet have 
Mm-hmm. So of like, if I'm looking at Johnny King, I'm like, man, he's got a high level of integrity. He speaks well, he's well-educated. He, he has a good vocabulary. These could be things that make you more confident as a man that you wish you would have. So start to write down those values of the things uh, that you would like to have that you don't yet have. And mm-hmm. then in your fourth column, go ahead and, and combine what's left over from the first column and what's in the third column, mm-hmm. right? And then make that your new blueprint. And this is where you get the conscious ability to say that's this is the man, this blueprint is what I want to be. This is how I want to show up every day, right? Mm. And then it, to take it one step further is you write down out of that final fourth column that has the traits that you would like to have and the traits that are left over from your past, write down three to five of those. And I say three to five of these because you're only in any given moment when everything hits the fan, and you're at this base level of consciousness, you're going back down to your sympathetic nervous system. So you're not thinking on a conscious level. It's all subconscious and habits. What are three to five of those that you will always be able to remember at those moments and show up as that man in every situation? Because if you can do that, then you won't have regret and shame on how you showed up. And you'll be, you'll still be able to wake up in the morning and look at yourself and say, I love that man in the mirror. He showed up consistent with this new Mm -hmm. blueprint. I'm happy. So that's where I would tell guys to start because when you start there, you actually know who you fundamentally are. You have Mm -hmm. to have a strong base. You can't get intricate. You can't be special operations with a, a crappy foundation. You have to build a strong base. And as men, I firmly believe we have to take that practice now and make sure that our foundation is strong. And then those three to five traits that you believe are, would last through any moments in your life, would last through any season in your life, those are the three to five traits that you hold on to. And those are the, that's the guy you show up as even in your lesser moments of anger and judgment and depression. That's the guy you still show up as. And in your higher self, when you're in this great uh, Hmm. euphoric state, you're showing up as all the traits in the fourth column, right? Mm -hmm. But we have to get a strong foundation. And it typically sits somewhere between three and five for men. Hmm. That's such a powerful exercise. I hope if you're listening to this, um, not if, because you're listening to this, if you're actually listening to this, you are listening to this, uh, <laughs> that you uh, you take some time and, and you pause this podcast uh, or this video and, and do that, because I think that's so powerful, because it's, it's, it's one thing to conceptualize this in your head as you're listening to it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It makes all the world to actually put pen to paper. And, and go through an exercise like Johnny just just laid out there. So speaking of doing the work, though, and, and the container that you mentioned, uh, give a little bit more information about the, the wild man experience and what you've created there, because it looks pretty <laughs> badass on, on social media. I know. When are you going to get there, man? It's going to be hey, fun. <laughs> I just need to know dates. Let's do it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the wild man experience is something I came up with because uh, I started to see a lot of people in the self-development world who uh, you and I have both had the privilege of meeting and getting to connect with. Um, they've shared and expressed their their admiration for the military. And, and mm. so I was like, wow, man, I really respect these guys. And they didn't have the opportunity because whatever happened in their life, they didn't serve, but they really love it. So I wanted to give yeah. them a taste of what it was like to to, and to really get an experience of the fun things from the military. I didn't want to put them through hell. So I was like, <laughs> let me give them a taste of that. But then I also yeah. said, well, some of these guys are, are 
you know, may not be, everybody's got a different level of where they enjoy and really absorb information. So let me package it in this really VIP experience where they hop off the plane, there's a car to pick them up with their name. They don't have to pull out their wallet. They don't have to do anything except be present for the three days they're with us. And they're taken care of fully and completely. So I said, let me give a, uh, an experience that encompasses the really fun things from special operations that I did with this really cool uh, environment where it allows guys to really open up and lower their walls too and have these real conversations with one another and be men together and be positive men together and have this just great masculine environment that allows them to just really connect and create a lifelong friendship with one or two or even the whole tribe of guys that show up. So that's what this experience was for. So we basically run guys with VIP dinners overlooking the ocean. Um, we, we take guys out to a ranch in Corpus Christi where we do some really fun uh, exercises with teaching how to do CQB, which is close quarter combat. So that was uh, cool. the rain. That was our bread and butter in, in urban environments, urban warfare. Um, we do teach guys how to peel out of a vehicle if they get contact from one side. And then we actually take you <laughs> guys and we have you shooting at targets from a moving vehicle down, mm. down this huge stretch of road. And then you guys get to practice this peel out technique we taught you. Um, and then we go back and we have a really fun bro evening at the ranch. We do some hatchet throwing, uh, there's cigars and drinks. If guys don't want alcohol, they don't have to, there's everything for every, every type of guy there. Food is all taken care of by our executive chef that's out there at the ranch. Um, and then we actually get you guys out into a helicopter as well mm. the next day. And you guys cool. get to shoot from a helicopter, which I have to say is probably the funnest, one of the funnest things I've ever done in my entire life. Um, and I think it's just a blast. So guys get to shoot out of a moving helicopter, which isn't very common. Uh, and then we, we keep and take you guys through some other fun things, um, with shooting a good friend of mine, uh, helps us out there. And he's a, he was a sniper in special operations. He was one of the snipers to, to my platoon, really good guy. So mm. he helps us as well. And he'll teach you guys some long range shooting, We'll have guys shoot from some really cool, fun distances. Mm. So a lot of that stuff. And then we go back the final evening and do this beautiful VIP dinner again, <laughs> overlooking the ocean. We download over the week. We download the past few days. Um, we have some conversations about what guys are going to take forward into their life, what they can be held accountable. So all these things. And along the way, you guys are getting some really, really cool gifts. So oh, nice. <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. It's a great, great time. It sounds ridiculous in, in the good sense of the word. That sounds awesome. So, so cool. Are you doing any, uh, planning any for 2021? Yeah, brother. So we actually have one available right now. I'm not sure when this episode comes out, but we have one available for uh, February 20, I believe it's 22nd to the 24th. So um, anybody that's interested, if they shoot me a message, I yeah. will... Uh, I will get back to them and let's look at getting them signed up. We only have 10 available slots because it's a really tight container yeah, yeah. Um, and quite a few of them are already taken up. So I urge people if they want to get in for totally. February's event, you know, message me now uh, and let's get the conversation started to get you guys locked in. I love it. How can they message you? Where can they find you? Uh, so you guys can email me at Johnny 
at johnnyelsasser.com and Elsasser is E-L-S-A-S-S-E-R or yep. DM me on IG at johnny.lsasser. Um, shoot me a DM on IG and let's have the conversation there and, and get you guys part of it. Yeah, you guys, as you're listening to this, uh, honestly, just like I said before, pause this right now, jump on your Instagram, follow johnny.lsasser um, and just check out some of his, his photos. Uh, if you're watching the video on YouTube here, I mean, here's, here's what he's up to hanging out of his, uh, out of the helicopter. Um, so, so cool stuff. I mean, the stuff that you're doing is, is really amazing. And the way that you're kind of stepping into creating the life that I think you probably have always dreamed of creating is pretty freaking awesome and bringing guys along with you. It's just cool to rub elbows with you and your, like you said, your genuine kind of authenticity of just how you show up as like uh, another fellow guy and just so forthcoming. Like we did on your, on your podcast was like, Hey man, I'm happy to help you out in any way that I can. It's just, it's rare that you meet guys like you who, who really genuinely want the best for everyone. Um, and I think that's just amazing karma, if you will. So I appreciate you being on the, on the podcast, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate that as well. And, and to, to everybody out there, um, what Johnny's mentioning right now, that took me time to work to that. I used yeah. to see everybody as competition. So <clears throat> to, to get that uh, accolade from you, it means a lot to me, but it also just shows me the work that I've done on myself. And so I want to just urge everybody out there that you're never, you're never too far along in life that you can't make those changes. If that's how you want to show up, you just have to make the decision to show up that way. Amen. And to just know, like you said, that it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that you have to unpack and it's scary, but that I feel like you were, you were warring out there in, in the world uh, for a lot of guys. I feel like the war is in, internal, you know, and it it's is. that battle that we have to kind of overcome against mediocrity or against the old programming and the way that our fathers or grandfathers, great, great grandfathers were, we have to be willing to step up and do that work. Um, otherwise, like you said, you just kind of pass the torch to the, yeah. to the next unassuming <laughs> uh, generation, which is not, I feel like our, our best use of our gifts here on this planet. So no, man. awesome. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again for joining me. Um, Absolutely. And brother. again, uh, if, if you guys want to check out his IG or shoot him a, an email, um, there's probably a lot of good stuff that he's got going on here in 2021. And this will definitely be coming out before the February time period. So people will hear it and hopefully reach out to you. So thank you again, man. Appreciate you so much thank for you. being on. Thank you, brother. All right, you guys, take care. Enjoy uh, the rest of your day. We'll catch up with you on the next podcast episode of The Johnny King Show. Cheers. And I want to thank you so much for listening to The Johnny King Show. And hey, if you got something positive from this episode, please subscribe to the show, share it on your favorite social platform, and then tag me in it so I can say hi. It would also mean the world to me if you wrote a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because I read every single one. Do you feel like there's something I could be doing better? Awesome. I totally thrive on constructive feedback and it's always welcome. So if you've got questions or concerns, you can always reach me via email at podcast at johnnyking.com. And then please follow me on Instagram at johnnyking, facebook.com backslash johnnykingmenscoach on my YouTube channel and LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining me. I've been Johnny King. You've been amazing. And we'll catch up with you next time. Take care.